Welcome to the show. You can watch and subscribe to the Project FIA TV show on YouTube. Drop comments and questions to us on the podcast via Twitter. Our handle is Project FIA. And now sit back, relax, and enjoy. This is Project FIA Goes PC. Hello there. If you're listening, I know you are, because otherwise there's no point. So, no, I might as well go home. But you are listening, so I can stay. At least that's what the voices in my head are telling me. This is episode 113. That's 113 reasons to listen to this episode of FI Goes PC. And as always, I'm your host, Rebel Zen, aka Danny Hell. And yes, I've been practicing that. I haven't, really. I mean, only in the shower. It doesn't really count. It's like singing. It's not really a karaoke booth, but you make it in your mind. Uh, I'm not alone. I have friends. None of them are here. So, you know, I can't prove that I've gone, but I do. They're just scattered around the world like Dragon Balls. And if you collect them all, your best friend shows up as a massive dragon. At least that's the story I'm telling to myself. No, our producer is here. Say hello. Hello. Hi. Hi. How are you doing? <laughs> Did you enjoy that? Yeah. Is that good? Mm. Mm. Friends like Dragon Balls. Yeah. How are you? Um, cold. <laughs> it has been sunny in Philadelphia, but cold in England. <laughs> and uh, yeah, no, it's uh, it's sunny, but freezing. Mm. It's kind of like Arctic summer. Yeah. You know? Yes. And this is because we said a it few weeks warm. ago it was warm. <laughs> well, we knew it was coming. Yeah. Because we got these smart things called AccuWeather and <laughs> various apps on our iPadiddles. And our, and our Android phones. And, mm. uh, it's, yeah, that whole thing. Everyone knows about those. So do you think Siri is always listening or just sometimes listening? I think she's temperamental. She has to be listening all the time. Otherwise, she wouldn't know when you're... I, I, I think she only listens to uh, the stuff she can phone the authorities and get you arrested for. <laughs> She well, she, then she's listening all the time for the buzzwords. I just I just keep Siri far removed from me. I haven't, yeah. I haven't even met Alexa yet. <laughs> I know she's a thing, but you know. So yeah, you know, phones. We all know what they are. Mm. It's funny, isn't it? Like I don't think you could have ever gone back to when we were all overly excited by a Nokia and Snake. Yeah. And then predicted this stuff. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. It's uh, it's almost like the, the thing that's really funny about the invention of a smartphone is it feels like a natural thing. It never felt overwhelming when you were living it because it was kind of like, here's the iPod, which is an MP3 player, which at one point was like the future. And if you look at that technology now, it looks like hospital equipment. It's terrible stuff. <laughs> The, the black and white it was like it's almost weird like the game boy is a good example of this the game boy was this big clunky blocky handheld thing yeah it was like a brick with a screen that was basically an evolution of the old lcd games that you could get for like two pound fifty like black and the white. tamagotchi type throwaway stuff yeah it was an evolution of that because it wasn't you, you had multiple games and multiple graphics and stuff like this then then turn that into a color screen mm-hmm. which is exactly where the ipod went and then the iPod went into like an iTouch. Mm-hmm. And then you didn't get the iTouch Game Boy, but you eventually got the 3DS, which was a touchscreen. 
right? Mm-hmm. So you can see how a handheld games console and a phone was basically the same evolution. So it's it's always seemed to be not too stark in leaps. But if you had your iPhone of today and went back to when the Game Boy was around, sort of late 90s or yeah. mid 90s or whatever, you would terrify someone. <laughs> but having this is why, you know, when everyone talks about how scary technology is when it leaps, mm-hmm. like how far forwards we are and all this stuff. When you're living it, it doesn't feel like it's really that amazing, you know? Like an iPhone is basically in principle looked and been the same thing. You know, we haven't really seen a different... It's not like these Samsung foldable... Have you seen these? The new Galaxies? No. You can fold them. You can turn them into origami. Uh, you have like a duck. Okay. Yeah. I think I saw something very reminiscent like folding screens a couple years ago, but it wasn't mainstream yet. If you take your, your average smartphone, mm-hmm. right, and just fold it in half, that's what it does. It folds that way. So I'm trying to do the hand gestures yeah. to no one can see me. It kind of claps together almost like um, literally like the 3DS does. It yeah, claps together. Yeah. And then there's one that opens out. So it's kind of like an iPad. So the point of that is that you still get the big screen, but you get a smaller phone to hold. Yeah, like it, it, and it's also like when it's folded, I think it's got a different functionality. Yeah. A bit like the uh, watch. Mm. where it's a half phone not a full phone yeah gotcha i don't know <laughs> but i've seen this because i've been watching a lot of k-dramas recently mm-hmm. for research purposes i've been watching a lot of uh dark stuff mm. it's mostly dark because i put the brightness levels down <laughs> it's really a comedy but everything's dark when you've got no lightness and um basically they advertise like most of these dramas modern day dramas are just advertising spaces for korean product Oh, product placement? Yeah, like every gift is an energy drink. Mm -hmm. I don't know why, but it's always the same box of energy drink. It's all Korean. Right. It's always the same broadcast network Mm. that makes this stuff. I remember in the past there was like some, I forget if it was like comedy or romantic drama, and there was like the Royce chocolates that kept popping up. Yeah, well, in in the case of the Samsung, I was watching, uh, it's actually worth watching for anyone who wants some kind of it's it's fairly lighthearted despite the title but zombie detective is on netflix okay 12 episodes about an hour every single episode which is a korean standard apparently and in three or four of these episodes you basically get a breakdown of how the new samsung foldable works (laughs) so um yeah like it's one of these things that asian tv and film is actually really good for is slipping in subliminal product placement in a way where the characters actually use it. Mm. They parody a lot of that in animes as well, where they have fake product names and stuff like this. Yep. But actually, when you're watching a K-drama or something like this, it's it's really funny because it's kind of like reminiscent of the 90s in Hong Kong TVB dramas and mm-hmm. stuff, when they were really a thing, you know? Yeah. Where you always had, like, uh, cut to Andy Lau, steps out of the police office in the info affairs, pulls out this bottle of green tea and suddenly fans click on and his hair's blowing in the wind it's a nice close-up he's had touch-ups of makeup someone sprays mist in his face but he's still in the police office okay there's some kind of halo and there's an angel behind him playing the harp you know this kind of stuff um 
it it's and that's a, one of the most serious films ever if you don't know what that is you might have heard of the departed which is what everyone did as an audience in hong kong when i saw it um <laughs> A blatant ripoff of Infernal Affairs that after it was made, Scorsese went on record, he's the director of it, and said it's an homage to it. It's not. It's blatantly trying to pull a wool over everyone's eyes and making a ripoff film. Terrible, terrible film, I thought. There's some great, great performances in it. Matt Damon, mm-hmm. Leo DiCaprio, mm-hmm. and uh, Jack Nicholson, who steals it. But Infernal Affairs, the original one, there's three. Just watch Infernal the Affairs. first one. The first Infernal Affairs film is better mm-hmm. by light years and, and pretty much cost 50p and a pound of flour it to make it. It's really, really good. Yeah. There's this stuff in Hong Kong cinema back in the 90s that kids today who are listening, if you can find anywhere, you should check it out. Chunking Express is one of them. It's a one car Y film. And. If you're involved in filmmaking or even excited by the idea of it, things like that are to sort of display how much you can do on really nothing as far as a budget. Mm-hmm. And it also just tells you how you, you graft a film out of very translucent scripts because he never really had a solid story. A lot of it was improvised as he was making it. One yeah. way. There was a base arc story and then it was just whatever so there's this kind of driven rather than event driven was this just this naturalized narrative telling which we are not accustomed to like a lot of people who watch hollywood films which is most of the world Mm -hmm. let's be honest there's a way of working in hollywood which is always script script reading architecting the script getting a dop to process the script building sets to represent the script whatever it's all very very industrialized you know, it's all not in the real world. Whereas in Asia, in the UK, around Europe, we we don't have big enough studio spaces. I mean, the UK has Pinewood and we have um, smaller studios hidden here and there, but it's nothing incomparable to, the, uh, you know, every street in Hollywood, really. The Warner Brothers backlot, Sony and all this stuff. They've got like Gower, Sunset Studios. There's loads of studio space in, in America. And so they've kind of created their industrial filmmaking with these sort of, we can build whatever, we can create any old world, we can sort of create a sitcom where you put friends together, call it friends, in New York, (laughs) in an apartment that no one in the real world could afford. And if it actually existed (laughs) in, in New York, it would be worth about $15 million, you know? We can do that because there's this suspension of disbelief. But there's also this atypical way of working in the USA, whereas in, in say, Hong Kong, Taiwan, Thailand's especially Korea now, who's got to focus on it, and Japan classically, it's literally either real places or very converted real places. Mm. Like you, you might see a temple set up in, say, Japan that actually exists, but have added stuff to it. Yeah. Right? But it's very seldom in sound stages because no one can really afford it. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, space. the real locations has its own beauty as well. Well, you know, like classically in Hong Kong, you'd, you'd leap to the Shaw brothers uh, who were really Shaw. But they're brothers. <laughs> they're very Shaw brothers. Uh, they used a lot of Shaw microphones and uh, no. 
spray themselves with Shaw deodorant. No. They're very Shaw, those brothers. Um, Edwin and Montgomery Shaw. No. Uh, they, they had... Run, run, Shaw. Run, run, Shaw? Yeah. <laughs> you, that's what you do in a tsunami, right? <laughs> no. You run, run, Shaw. Um, yeah, they, they had a studio by the Shaw. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In fact, none of their films were certified as much as they were surefied. And... <gasps> Yeah, back in those days, where it was kind of like precursor Bruce Lee, you know, like it, people don't understand this about Bruce Lee, but his father was a huge actor in Cantonese opera, which is kind of like drama, you know, mm-hmm. uh, wushu films, which is martial art kung fu movies, if you will. I hate saying that, but <laughs> that's what people call them. And back in the day, he grew up on film sets. So he became a kid that's basically watching his dad, who's equivalently playing Spider-Man, in Hong Kong and being like my dad's Spider-Man. This is amazing. He's an and industry kid. He's literally, he was in the rafters of a studio. This is when Hong Kong had a very famous studio that sort of like Warner Brothers, if you will, in Hollywood, North Hollywood. And he would sit in the rafters watching his dad perform and be obsessed with it. That's his in. And no one talks about that. Mm. Most people believe, unfortunately in the USA, and I've talked to many people who do, that the film that Jason Scott Lee did portraying bruce lee the film dragon which mm. was highly promoted by bruce lee's widow wife yeah and daughter as the truth is so far removed from the truth it's crazy but the reality was his whole family was sort of on the cusp of the entertainment industry his brother was an athlete you know a pro boxer and stuff like this uh, or a sword fighter one of them i forget but he had a big family, Bruce Lee. No one talks about it. They mm-hmm. just think it's him. He got in trouble in Hong Kong, was shipped to America because he was he involved. Was a bad boy. He was involved in triad stuff where <laughs> he's like picking fights with the wrong people. Yeah. This is a kid, like I said, he grew up thinking his dad is essentially Spider-Man and therefore probably was like, well, I can beat you up because my dad's a superhero, right? <laughs> people have that life. And so he went to America because it became too dangerous for him to stay in Hong Kong. That was the construct. Mm. When he got to America, he had the free reign to sort of pull the wool over everyone's eyes. He had some incredible philosophers at the time when he was a philosophy major. And he was thinking about a lot of stuff that you could literally say is the basic foundation of mixed martial arts, where martial arts shouldn't be one school fighting in one school tournaments like karate used to be where it was like freestyle karate or american kickboxing or whatever and it was always the same style against the same style taekwondo mm. all interclub tournaments so you'd have a national championship or an olympic event where it'd be taekwondo versus taekwondo but the style would be the same yeah yeah so he was trying to free it up and go right well you know what we can sort of you know add a bit of boxing here because they're better at hits we mm. can put in some TKD kicks in this. We can throw in a bit of wrestling and do some groundwork and Get all this stuff. Get the best of everything. Right. But what Americans don't realize about Bruce Lee is the fact that he was never trained in the sense of he was never part of an academy. He never did more than six months in a Yip Man Academy. And what people don't understand about the Yip Man Academy, it was not Yip Man teaching him. It wasn't the Donnie Yen character in the movies mm. teaching Bruce Lee. It was his son, Ip Chung. And Ip Chung was reluctant to teach him. But at the time, Ip Man was dying of cancer. He was like in his 70s and very close to death. Mm. So a lot of people who associate the legends 
this is like how Hong Kong has basically promoted martial arts to the West through Bruce Lee. It's kind of this sort of synergized, weirdly inaccurate autonomy, you know, like it's all from this one school. But in reality, Bruce Lee only did six months in the academy and it wasn't with the most advanced teacher there because he was dying. Mm. And a lot of people rejected teaching him. I think in the end, one of the renegade students actually separated from the Ip Man Academy taught Bruce Lee right. what he knows. So Bruce Lee's got this idea that he comes to America with where it's a rigid form and style and basically teaches people Chinese philosophies and stuff that actually at this point hadn't been discussed in the West. No one knew about this stuff. You might as well have been saying something completely new. And it was really impressive because the only thing at the time to compete with Wing Chun or, or Jeet Kune Do, which is what he was teaching at the time, is or Jun Fan Kung Fu, which is how he said it. It's his name associated to kung fu so he's completely sold on the wuxia kind of films and stuff and basically when he starts teaching people all this philosophy it's so deep to them because okinawan karate didn't really come with anything like that it came with american gis teaching you how to kill someone <laughs> or not to kill someone or it's all american kickboxing roots so there was no comparable and I think this is why he was idolized in the USA as this thing that no one had ever seen before. And mm -hmm. he had some really clever ideas, but you bring that back to Asia and it's almost like, hey man, you know, like you don't know what you're talking about, essentially. Like I don't think there's ever been an account of Bruce Lee ever being challenged or tested by anyone in Asian martial arts. I don't think they saw him as worth their time i think it's because it's not even that is not worth their time i think it's because he was always really clever like i equate bruce lee to someone like david blaine or not even david blaine i think the better one would be yuri geller the guy who could bend spoons with his mind right i equate bruce lee to yuri geller right there's some truth in what he's saying there's some philosophy in it but at the end of the day he's a charlatan mm. like he's actually fake right but to an American, he's not fake yeah. because they've never seen this before. So if you had someone that was like Darren Brown, who actually has skills being a mentalist, but tells you quite honestly, I'm tricking you. Yeah. But he still has skills mm -hmm. compared to Yuri Geller, who has no skills, but just tells you rubbish. Like I can bend a spoon and I know what you're thinking. And it has to be in a controlled environment for it to work. Mm -hmm. Darren Brown could probably do a demonstration for you here and now. Yeah. Or on the street, yeah. Right. I find Bruce Lee to be the Yuri Geller next to the Darren Brown. Right. So if I had Jet Li here, who was a five-time national champion of Wushu in China as well as internationally, mm -hmm. if I had Jet Li here actually talking martial arts, he would have known a lot more than if you have Bruce Lee here talking martial arts because Bruce Lee had no base training outside of his own creation. So he had a lot of prejudice in what he was saying without actually testing it mm. he never did the time he wasn't like a 15-year veteran in a temple school in the middle of foshan for example yeah he never did the time so he didn't know the community he only knew what his dad did which was this action style martial arts in film which is performance not his dad's yeah. basically jackie chan <laughs> and ironically jackie chan became bruce lee's stuntman mm. and then ja jackie chan's not a credible martial artist but he'd say that his background's in uh, Chinese opera and theater well, it's all as well. stunt work and it's all performance, mm -hmm. but it's not practical and real, right? 
Donnie Yen's real. Yeah. The actor Donnie Yen, Crouching Tiger, and the Hitman. new Crouching Tiger, I should say. He wasn't in the original one. <laughs> but the guy who plays the man, he's legitimate. His mom is a hugely famous Tai Chi teacher. Yeah. And practical Tai Chi, not like morning workout Tai Chi. She actually teaches practical Tai Chi, which is part of Wu-Tang school of thought mm. i could i'm such a nerd for all this stuff <laughs> but no one's talking about this and the reason i'm relating to all of this is going back to what i was saying about film production even talking korean is this is the problem you see someone like bruce lee comes to the usa and is such an icon to america that it's resold and repackaged and therefore iconic to asia mm-hmm. you see um because he's the one that went there and did it yeah but did he because he had no successes in america until he died mm. there was no success of bruce lee in america while he was alive zero people listened to him he was on a lot of stuff you could argue the green hornet was a big deal because it was the first time an asian american essentially had a you know quite a prime large time part. television role but i doubt he was as successful as david carradine was for kung fu mm. do you see what i'm saying mm-hmm but when he was in asia he was iconic in, in hong kong cinema the run run shore next generation was bruce lee stuff like big boss mm. you know uh not so big boss <laughs> game of death game of life uh <laughs> game of yeah. life enter the drag queen that was a that was uh, a board game, game well enter life. the dragon was the first transatlantic cross pacific production like it was basically warner brothers funded made in hong kong probably made by the Shaw Brothers out in Hong Kong. Golden Harvest, I feel, mm. probably put it together, which were the main people who made Bruce Lee movies. But it was really game-changing in the fact that it was probably the first film filmed in Asia with American money. How you know? ironic that the tables have turned now. Well, loads of tables are turning. <laughs> like all the funding is from China going into Hollywood. <laughs> well, it's just the symbiotic relationship. Because the entertainment industry works where the biggest audience is. And for mm. the longest time, China wasn't interested because mm. everyone was forced to be academic. And well, work. there weren't enough cinemas as well. It wasn't that. It was everyone was focusing on the academic reconstruction of their entire country that was falling apart. Mm. Like it was in a third world state, the civil war before World War II when it was a nationalist country. Yeah. Because Sun Yat-sen beat the dynasty to take over China and push it into um, a democracy. But that didn't work out because so many people wanted him dead that it went nationalist. You know, he, he gave control over a dic- to a dictator, essentially. When the Communist Party kicked off, they weren't interested in extracurricular. Yeah. It was all steel industry, work, 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 and rebuild your thing. So it's only been in the last, I would say, 15, maybe 16 years that China's cared about entertainment. Mm-hmm. And now it's really a player in it. So I feel like they've got the biggest audience now. Absolutely. I mean, for a long time it was India, but India's got an ancestral sort of relationship where it's got Bollywood. Mm. So it doesn't need to really team with America. It's got its own thing going. China's got this symbiotic relationship where it's almost like, we'll fund you if you teach us how to do what you do, and then we'll do it ourselves. The reason that they're so linked to Marvel isn't just as easy as we need a famous Chinese face to sell this movie. Like if you take Iron Man, there's always like a Chinese random guy in the background. (laughs) Or if you go to the Gardens of the Galaxy, there's someone working on the ship in the background that's Mm. Asian, you know. 
They've always got bit parts. They never bought full forwards. There's no central Chinese character. And it's almost like to an American audience, I feel it's a condition like, oh, you can see a presence of China in this film. So, you know, they funded it, right? But I think it's more case that China funded America and said, look, we're going to finance all of this stuff if you teach us how to do it. And then they start doing it in China. Mm. So eventually their film industry is going to rival America's. Mm. It's almost like a symbiotic relationship. We're paying extreme amounts of money for you to tutor us. Yeah. Right? Mm, that's an interesting and then, analogy. And then you come back to Shanghai with the world's biggest film studio yeah. <laughs> and start doing it for like the monkey king or whatever that where you can clearly see this is the trend because you you watch the monkey king with donnie yen again drop his name he plays the monkey king you see the effects that they now can do mm. compared to the 90s yeah it's not even funny right one thing that's starting to be lost though is that China's biggest credit to the film industry is people like Zhang Yimou, who did um, Hero. Mm-hmm. He's done so many sort of wuxia films. He also directed the Beijing Olympic opening and will do yeah. the Winter Olympic opening. Ceremonies. If there's anyone that's going to at this point, I don't <laughs> know. But the point is that he always did these incredible human efforts where in Hero, there's a shot in the lake between Donnie and his character and Jet Li's character, and they're fighting on this lake, and it's all kind of pulleys and cranes and cable work that's mm-hmm. famous in The Matrix where you see people being able to fly and all of this stuff. We all know what cable work is, mm. more or less, okay? Well, they're doing this thing, and he had to film this sequence, this one fight sequence, probably last five, six minutes in the actual movie. It took him three or four months to film it because he had to wait for the lake to settle and yeah. be pristine every single day. No ripples. For synergy. Now, this is what's lost when you can do that in CGI. Because now, uh, now what that looks like, green screen. Yeah. Okay, cables the same. Yeah. And you just do that. It's mm. that easy. But this is why people don't understand. China had some, probably the most visually stunning movies ever because of that mm. constraint and so now we're all going to the cgi route mm. you could really Something's do it in lost. your toilet <laughs> as long as you paint your toilet green and have the right lighting you could do an entire marvel film in it you know <laughs> that's the point so i think that you know it's interesting because i don't think people practically understand china they think that china steals ips and it's just that clear i think china looks at ips represents recreates the ips and essentially stolen it but then perfects it in a whole different way Mm. it's almost like i always do this with film students that i've taught if you have a script land on your desk and it's wizard of Oz, okay and it's the original wizard of Oz script and then i hire six directors okay so i've got terry gilliam Mm. i've got uh james cameron Mm. i've got quentin tarantino Got Oliver Stone. Okay. Okay. I'm not going to go all six, but there's others. <laughs> and I give them this script. Michael Bay. I get, Yeah, Michael Bay. Uh, <laughs> Has to have an explosion. Martin Scorsese, <laughs> we mentioned him earlier. Uh, you know, and I give these guys the same script. Mm. They go off and make six totally different films. Yeah. Okay. It's the script, but it's totally different. Is that really stealing an IP mm-hmm. in that analogy? 
because each one of them is going to bring something creative that the other one's not going to bring. That's new. Yeah. Tarantino is going to rewrite the whole thing, <laughs> add tons of dialogue. <laughs> Suddenly, the scarecrow is not going to say anything about having no brain, heart, or whatever. He's just going to basically shoot everyone in the room. You know, everyone's going to have a different take. One of them's going to be exactly to the script. Mm. Right now, if you think about that's how IP works, intellectual property. If you make a phone, right? I make an Apple phone. If I give the Apple phone to an engineer who then reverse engineers it, sees how it's all done, like unwrapping a box of mystery or telling you how the magician did his tricks, he's going to have the notes and all of it. There's not going to be a disclaimer where it's top secret. He's just going to reverse engineer it. Then he's going to make something far better that folds and mm. puts in your handbag properly. <laughs> Mr. Samsung. Yeah. Can you then say it's an IP steal or can you just say that China took it and made it better, mm. right? And it really miffs people in America because they're selling the same technology with a few tweaks here and there. But it's exactly the same since the British guy that invented it, by the way, mm. invented it and then sold it to Apple. Mm. So you've got this whole thing where, yes they have stolen IP, but was it that protected in the first place? Well, the question is, can an idea belong to one person? And I think the answer is not really because ideas have to build on each other and eventually, well, like this you is, said, it's... This is the thing I'm trying to get to, come to my original point, because I've gone a massive Bruce Lee tangent and <laughs> talking about China and stuff like this, but if I come back to the Korean drama point, mm -hmm. Zombie Detective is almost the IP steal of iZombie on face value. iZombie is a, a series on Netflix based on a comic book about a forensic scientist who becomes a zombie. And it's a day in her life, mate. She's actually from New Zealand. <laughs> um, the actress, not the character. You know? <laughs> um, but basically, if you think about iZombie, mm. it's based on a comic, turned into a film, la di da di da Zombie Detective comes out. It's a guy that's a zombie pretending to be a detective mm. for one reason or another that I won't ruin because it's very worth watch uh, on Netflix if you get the time. And basically, you could argue it's Korea doing an interpretation of iZombie. Yeah. And once upon a time in, in Hong Kong, which is not actually a film yet, but it could <laughs> once be. Once upon a time I could in have Hong said Once Kong. upon a time in China, which is a film. Yeah. Uh, it might be a film Once Upon a Time in Hong Kong, wouldn't surprise me. But Once Upon a Time in Hong Kong, in the 90s especially, they would have, say, the bodyguard from Beijing, mm -hmm. which is literally a ripoff of Die Hard. Okay? Is it? Yes. It's mm. completely a ripoff of Die Hard. <laughs> and no one at that point was like, oh, you just stolen property, right? <laughs> you know? Yeah. There's so many things like uh, Iron Monkey, mm. which is basically Robin Hood. Mm -hmm. okay and yet it's just a clash of similarities it's yeah. not the same thing it could be inspired by or whatever but it's not the same thing but there are constantly things in asian cinema from the 90s to the early 2000s stephen chow's very famous for this where it's a nod in the direction of something like looney tunes or this or that and it's a tongue-in-cheek representation of multi-cultures yeah that is now translated into korean drama they are doing a similar thing to how hong kong was in the mid-90s to the early 2000s. Right. And it's showing you this kind of evolution of cinema. Mm. Because in the West, despite what we think, 
there is a growing audience for Asian cinema for the first time ever. Mm. There's so many people who are into Korean dramas over their own. And it's really interesting because when you actually watch this stuff, you see the same pitfalls that Hong Kong was in, Shaw Brothers, where, where Hong Kong had an industry and it was a click industry and they only made one kind of genre film. Mm-hmm. It was always martial arts films. It was always martial arts films, but it could be romance martial arts film or it could have been a ghost story martial art film or it could have been a policeman martial art film, but it was always martial art films, always. Action. Or, well, not even action. It was literally wushu. So martial arts translated by China, you're welcome. Not Kung Fu, but martial arts films, always. Now, if you take Japan, when they had uh, people like Kurosawa directing films, it was all samurai stuff, period stuff. And so that was a focus on the entertainment in these regions before it was post-Shaw Brothers. And that's when it was more heavily drama and stuff that was ripping off American TV shows like you'd have Hong Kong ER, Mm. you know? Yeah. Which was A&E because they have the British system. (laughs) 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 Or you'd have Chicago Fire and it would be called something like Heart of Fire and it'd be about firemen or, you know, CSI. But it wouldn't be called CSI. It'd just be called Forensic, right? (laughs) And so Korea is doing a similar thing. So whatever works. Actually, Korea, I think, does a lot more stuff that's very English. Like, you know how we have stuff like Silent Witness? Mm-hmm and prime suspect yeah and midsummer murders uh we're all heavily on our crime shows here we're very famous for like gritty crime probably because of sherlock holmes you know evolution and so there's a lot of things coming out of korea that's very similar to that sensibility i find more so than american but that could just be coincidental Mm -hmm. but I, i see these trends in cinema. So when we go back to the ironic story of Bruce Lee and why it's relevant to all of this stuff is basically the world works in fashions, in trends. Yeah. And I always see it like, you know how the world revolves every year? So you have summer and winter. Mm-hmm. And when the sun's shining on one part of the world, it's dark in another part of the world. Yeah. I think fashion's the same. Mm-hmm. So the light hits one part of the world. And for the last 150 years, it's been the USA. Right. It's okay. now starting to warm up on the Asian front. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? Shifts. Because think about it. Anime in Japan since probably the mid-90s has been a global conquering industry. Chinese cinema had a resurgence with Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon and Ang Lee, especially, who's a Taiwanese director. And then suddenly we were getting more curious on Korean films. And one of the biggest Korean films that came out in sort of early 2000s was Old Boy, Park Chan-wook. And that pulled the attention super into like Korean thrillers and psychology films and stuff. Then we saw a lot of Japanese directors working in America. So the guy who created The Ring Mm. is out there doing The Ring. Yep. Uh, not nothing to do laws or rings. Uh, then you had Taiwanese directors, part of the Fast and the Furious and the Saw franchise and all this stuff. And mm. Chinese Americans were becoming more relevant. And you had this boost of cross consciousness. Yeah, and Death then it, Note was made American. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And then all of that sort of went all Korean. So instead of these little lights happening in Japan and China, you'd had majority uh, the audience going to Korean stuff, mm-hmm. mostly after Gangnam style. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And so 
I, I think anything creative, anything in engineering doesn't really have an IP because it's discovery. It's an idea. It's an idea. Mm. Like, yes, you can patent it and you should, especially if you're trying to build a business around it. Mm-hmm. Like if I was to sell an iPhone and that's my entire entrepreneurial limitation, yeah. like Nokia, who only makes cell phones, right? Mm-hmm. Then sure, I'd be really miffed if I suddenly saw it appearing in China as a Huawei, yeah, you know, but that's not how this works. Even people who come up with these ideas can patent them, but they don't because they're like, oh, this is actually better for the world if everyone can use it. But yeah, but this is the point. Science and engineering and technology is kind of free flowing stuff anyway, because mm-hmm. it's all communities that create it. Yeah. It's never an individual. An individual might discover a fragment of it, but they don't create it. It's mm-hmm. always a team that creates it. Mm-hmm. It's basically a lab. So if you think about the rhetoric of people stealing IP, who doesn't? Yeah. Everyone's doing that. We're all inspired <laughs> by something else. Well, Facebook was stolen. Yeah. There's a whole film about it with Spider-Man's in it. Spider-Man's One in it? One of them. Andrew Garfield. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. And Lex Luthor. That's a whole DC Marvel crash. We didn't. We never even sue Sue. We never even sue coming. <laughs> Who's Sue coming? She's she's a secretary for someone. But uh, yeah. So I like to say all this stuff. It's been a nice magical Asian mystery tour this episode. But I I want to end because I saw a lot of Korean dramas, which is why I'm thinking of all this stuff. And you can see relevance of Bruce Lee still in stuff mm-hmm. it's still like the cool niche 970s iconic thing when people are fighting or whatever they're doing a bit of a jeet kundo stance and stuff like this but i've been watching a lot of stuff from korea and there are a growing number of converted korean dramas coming out of webtoons which is the korean uh equivalent of manga mm. it's all coming up online Unlike maybe comics. free free subscription i don't know how it works I think they call it manhua, right? That's Mandarin. Yeah, I think it's the same word mm. in Korean. But oh. basically, they're adapting that stuff for TV, a bit like Marvel, mm. because everyone sees the trend America sets. Right. So America sets a trend of adaptation in comic books is where you want to go. And everyone runs to that. Like Japan's whole film career now is adapting over a book or a manga. Yeah. Korea has always had kind of inclusive... TV dramas that are completely its own development for TV. Mm-hmm. Now it's starting to make its own comics into TV dramas. Mm. And I've watched a, f- a few of them. One of them was almost identical to the kind of points of Bleach, the anime. Yeah. Where it's basically a bunch of guys going around taking souls, like the Grim Reaper mm. sort of thing. Uh, protecting the world from evil spirits essentially as you do right it's clever and it's based on a webtoon which i think is kind of totally inspired by bleach but it was really clever as far as a series it's called uncanny counter i'm pretty sure that's not the korean name for it but that's the netflix name for it and that was a really good i I like to guide people who are involved in filmmaking from the ground up to see this kind of stuff because again it doesn't have a big budget Mm. It really shows you that you can do very engrossing stuff without having to heavily, heavily rely on CGI monsters. Yeah. However, there's also Howlbound, which I found to watch, and that is all CGI monsters. <laughs> but um, 
There's a nice sort of symbiotic harmony in, in Asian cinema with that stuff. I think Stephen Chow, when he did Kung Fu Hustle, blew the world apart with what you could do with CGI and that kind of practical CGI crossover. Mm. It's absolutely incredible film. If you take all the technologies used to make it, you've got cable work, mm -hmm. like The Matrix, where everyone's like thrown across buildings and stuff. You've got the CGI elements and it's always used as a kind of punctuation point as opposed to just a, focus. a Marvel film, which is all CGI. Yeah. And again, you could film it in your toilet if it was all green <laughs> and lit. But the Korean stuff is kind of a symbiotic. The effects are very good, considering yeah. the budget constraints, which people in the West don't fully understand. It's not like all of these studios have multi-millions to work with, like Game of Thrones has. Asia doesn't use millions to make well, films. Here's the thing. like Game of Thrones cost about 100 million per series. Yeah. Something like that, which is the Titanic's budget when the Titanic was built for the film James Cameron did, not the original Titanic, <laughs> which was probably built on 24 pounds and, you know. Which is why it... Back of the skills. <laughs> because it was different currency back then, you know. Inflation. Um, but at one point in, in my lifetime, mm. and your lifetime, mm -hmm. and some people's lifetime, mm -hmm. that listening, mm -hmm. Titanic was the biggest budgeted film ever yes. until the Avengers eclipsed it. Yeah. made it look like it was made as a low-budget movie. Now, Game of Thrones is a TV series that had that to work with it for a series, for a season of, say, seven to eight episodes. If you think about how The Kingdom, which is Korea's probably best-looking and biggest-budgeted TV show currently, okay, which is a period zombie thing <laughs> dynasty weird. zombies dynasty basically. zombies yeah. Mm. yeah very cool watch that it's very good series okay i think that every series of that was probably not even five million it could it could be 10 20 but it's not it's nothing comparable to game of thrones yeah. and yet i think it has the same resonation mm. it's an extremely worthwhile series to watch it's okay. definitely cheaper than a walking dead yeah but it's just to see the cleverness and and it still proves that you don't need huge budgets to make just as good television mm. you know and cgi in that is minimal it's a lot of practical stuff yeah it, it exists in it but it's not it's, it's not a talking point yeah 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 so i always find asian cinema to be anyone watching uh netflix if you want something different Asian cinema is really good to get into because not only do you see character crafting and world building in a very cheap way because most of the appeal is that it's in Asia. Mm. And so it's not our boring everyday field <laughs> or, uh, you know, <laughs> beach life or something like this. And yet it's always somewhat original. Like the zombie detective could have been super bad as a premise, as a construct. But it's actually carried off very well. And there's a lot of funny moments in it. But it's also, it, it, it's very reminiscent of like Chinese New Year films. If you're in Hong Kong, you know what they are. Sort of how Stephen Chow earned his bread and butter back in the day. You know, you'd get these bizarre over the top movies humorous. every Chinese New Year. <laughs> uh, which is like Hong Kong's Christmas, essentially. Yeah. So that's all interesting. And coming back to America... Because I've got into a lot, lot of Korean dramas, and at some point I'll go into it a bit, bit more than just circling it and saying mm. stuff. 
But one thing I noticed today was that they are rebooting The Fresh Prince of Mm -hmm, mm Bel-Air as a drama, calling it Bel-Air. Yes, I saw that. And that really hurts me. Mm. That hurts my feelings. What's next, friends? (laughs) We're going to make a drama about friends. (sighs) And what's after that, Frasier? We're going to make a drama about Frasier. rebooting. And and cheers. Like, this is like... You know, The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air has still been on Netflix. Kids are still watching it. For you to dramatize a sitcom doesn't make any sense to me. Are we that bad in the West at ideas? This is probably why the spotlight's changing. Mm -hmm. Just a thought. Mm -hmm. You know. But I will say it is interesting in this time where the biggest deals, the biggest possible television explosions internationally and films of current era are all adapted from comics or books Mm. i don't know how i feel about that you know they just had a reunion of harry potter and jk rowling didn't write that (laughs) it wasn't written by her (laughs) you know (laughs) 25 years later they all meet again there's no book that's that's scary they're dealing with original programming oh fear What's up with this reunion stuff? There's been this huge trend in reunions. It started off with Friends, right? Yeah, I watched that. And then there was a Parks and Recreation one during Mm -hmm. pandemic. Then there's been Community doing various stuff. Yeah, I don't get it. Is it because we're desperate to see? Actors just want to see each other again. There's no reason for them to otherwise. No, I think it's uh, the Friends one has been on the cards wished for yeah. for like 10 15 years but everyone was in different stages of being hectic busier and rehab so it was difficult for them to do it i guess but um i, I don't like these because it, it, it's basically a talk show with a cast yeah it is. But i'd rather see another episode to just finally close the door on it or a tv movie or something because a lot of these things kind of require that send-off you, you need one more thing because I think the end of Friends personally wasn't good. Mm. I think they closed the series out in a way that wasn't great. Like Dexter. And then Dexter comes back with a kind of mini series or whatever. Yeah. That's the right move. Mm. Just close it off right. Yeah. You know, Frasier ended up pretty well. That was one of my favorite sitcoms ever. You know. But you you kind of don't I just don't think the chat show format is fantastic, to be honest, because it it's more upsetting. You kind of want to see the Parks and Recreation team in a movie because, <laughs> yeah. like, you really miss that world, man. Yeah. That's another thing I'll say. Like, there's a lot of stuff in in good television. I think you know good television. When you get to the end of it, you're really sad. You're really sad to be there. It's like you're mourning. Yeah. Like, Zombie Detective, when it ends, is very sad to see everyone go. It's not a sad ending. It's just you really feel you like you... You want it to continue. Yeah. You, you, it's like anime does that. Really good anime. Oh, yeah. The powerful story. You is love like, the characters. You want to be in that world forever. And I think Parks and Recreation is the most successful sitcom of doing that of all time. Because mm. it really puts you in it. Yeah. You know, it's funny, isn't it? Because uh, they started that off almost like an alternative office spin-off, even though none of the characters are in the office. Yeah. The way it's filmed is the same yeah, strategy. Like documentary It doesn't style. make sense because in the office... In the English office, it was a documentary crew, and sometimes you saw them filming. Mm. Like, they broke, and you should see the cameraman and stuff like this. And it's very British filmmaking to do that. In fact, it's genius that Gervais did it. 
because there was this huge mockumentary craze at that time like a lot of like uh, in the thick of it and stuff like this was mm -hmm. happening in the uk so it wasn't original to us here in the uk but of course when it translated to the americans they'd never seen it before oh you can do that wow and we're like well you did that with spinal tap do you not remember <laughs> but you know when they when they did parks and recreation it was almost just the style of it was that but you never saw any Why? reason for the documentary crew to be there yeah but i'll tell you what it does is it it kind of puts a spell on you where you're in a very immersive world and i think that the amount of improvisation that they could therefore do mm. when you take someone like chris pratt who was mostly just being an idiot the whole time <laughs> it was happening doing stupid stuff <laughs> basically an extra member of jackass mm. was his character in that you know um, when you start seeing that, it really is immersive. And that was one of the saddest endings to a series I've ever seen. I think that is legitimately the best sitcom that's ever been on this earth, mm. which is huge high praise. High praise. But it really was a very special thing, you know. Ah, oh, Miss Ron Swanson. That's all I'm going to say about that. But anyway, hopefully everyone who's listened has learned so much about stuff they never cared about <laughs> this this episode and uh of course if you want to drop comments and you want to learn a bit more about you know the real bruce lee um you should ask his family <laughs> don't ask me what but i i think it's it's interesting because you know if you're going to have the ip conversation technology you should really have it in art too and that's been you know we've constantly stolen everyone's ideas it's mm -hmm. it's a human thing we can't politicize everything it's just part of who we are if someone's got a lunchbox that you can't afford as a kid you kind of create the lunchbox using you know naff what stuff. you've got yeah exactly and you know it, it, it's just how it is hopefully we won't have politics uh like parties that i went to no i didn't or anything like that you know coming up in the next two weeks but we will love you and leave you we've got things to do today mostly get excited du -du 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 -dum. look forward to our internet being connected because we've got broadband they've laid the broadband down in the forest well i say laid it's like a tree now you know how you have a conventional tree and then you have a fiber optic tree which is all glowing <laughs> we got that in the back garden it's such a this is what the internet needs to be in the future is a tree in the back garden that's fiber optics it's very pretty it's like christmas every day yeah only not as expensive somewhat anyway we'll be back in two weeks folks hopefully enjoyed everything and uh check out the korean dramas that i mentioned the kingdom but don't if you're a kid because it's uh, pretty gruesome zombie stuff zombie detective that's pretty good for all ages it's not too bad and uh uncanny counter that's my recommendation so this week we'll be back in two weeks for a future book club until then take care everyone <laughs> <laughs>